Welcome back to the Setting Lab, where we give you an insight into the world of motorcycle racing. Now, this week, we're doing something a little bit different. If you've listened to us for a while now, you'll know that we mainly focus on MotoGP and everything around the season there. But we've decided in the summer break to take a different spin on things and to talk about World Superbikes, something that we are all very interested in. So myself, Carly and Catherine proposed a question on our Twitter to our followers, and it was, is World Superbikes considered a step down from MotoGP? And if yes, why? And we got some interesting responses. We've done a bit of research ourselves and we've decided to make a podcast episode out of it, discussing basically what we think about it and whether or not we think World Superbikes is a step down from MotoGP. So let's just get straight into it and yeah, talk everything bike related. (laughs) Obviously, there's a lot of similarities between the two sports, but I think we should start with how the weekend is laid out because this is something that's actually quite different between the two sports is how the races are run over a weekend. Okay, so obviously in MHGP we have free practice, um, one and two on a Friday. And then in on Saturday we have free practice three and free practice four for MHGP and then qualifying. And then on Sunday we have the race. So in World Superbike, this is slightly different because on Friday, we still have free practice one and two. But then when we get to Saturday, we have free practice three. And then we have the Super Bowl qualifying where all the riders go out and set their fastest times. Um, and they do actually have qualifying tyres. Um, they have like a special tyre, which is only meant to be used for like one or two laps that they can put on their bike and set them. Um, their fastest lap with and then after we have the qualifying we then have race one which is on Saturday afternoon and then on Sunday we have the Super Bowl race which is a sprint race and that decides the grid for race two I think it's the top 10 riders they where they finish in the Super Bowl race is where they start in race two and then from position 11 downwards it's done by fastest lap in the Super Bowl race and then on Sunday afternoon we have race two which is a full distance race. Yeah I mean you're essentially getting more races out of World Superbikes than you are Motor GP. Um, there's only 13 rounds of World Superbikes and there's 20 rounds of Motor GP and 28. Well, there's supposed to be 21, but Kimmering got cancelled this year. So World Super Bikes technically have 26 normal races and 13 Super Bowl races a year. Yeah, so they have 39 races. Yeah. You and the tickets are cheapest, you get more. Yeah, you more for your money. Prices. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, when you compare it that way, I mean, this year was meant to be Moon GP's longest season mm-hmm. with 21 races. But obviously, like you said, it's only 20. But then you're getting 39 races in a World Superbike weekend. But then yeah. I suppose, actually, if you look at it, you get Moto3 and Moto2. Yeah, yeah. but with, with World Superbike, you get World Supersport and World uh, Supersport 300. Yeah. So I know they don't go to all the tracks. 600, yeah. 300 <laughs> and 600, sorry. I know, I know they don't go to all the tracks because... 
like last year because of COVID, um, neither the two supporting classes went to Donington. It was just World Superbike, but they did have other classes on. I think they had British Talent Cup and some of the other ones that normally yeah, race in. Yeah, some of the ones that race in British Superbike, they had them. Well, over. if you do the the quick maths on it, if hypothetically World Superbike had the same lineup every weekend like MotoGP does, MotoGP you get sixty races a yeah. season and that's obviously minus the when they have like the red bull rookies and stuff in moto e um so that's just moto three moto two and moto gp but in world super bikes if you include world super bikes world and there's the two world super race. sport there's only one race in super stock 302 oh races see that's sport. different thing because i was gonna say some quick yeah. miles there but yeah it's <laughs> very quick before <laughs> i try and do the quick miles well that's good but yeah, so you're getting 60 races in a MotoGP weekend, but on a little bit of quick miles, you're still getting more races in a World Superbike season than you are in a MotoGP season. Don't Which ask me to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I can't work out the exact math right now, but... I was, do you want me to work it out? I was trying to, but I was just basing it on that they all had three races. Yeah, and not all of the super sport and... 78. 78, okay, compared to 60 MotoGP. But again, obviously there's MotoGP weekends where you have... And that's... depend. I'm not sure when Superstock 600 go exactly. That's just if there's 13 rounds. There's not 13 rounds of it. I don't know how much there is, but yeah. it's like around there. Yeah. Okay, well... <laughs> Makes it interesting. It does, it does. I think that's the main difference for me between MotoGP and World Superbikes is that obviously MotoGP is on a lot more and the race weekends are very set. You know, we get 20 races. But then with World Superbikes, there's a lot longer of breaks in between each race. And I feel like for me as a fan, it's it's harder for me to follow along, I find, when there's more time in between each race. I think it just loses a bit of the buzz for me because... With MotoGP, there's races that are back-to-back and you get so excited about what's going on, whereas with World Superbikes, you're like, wow, they've raced three times this weekend, but now we're off for three weeks. And you sort of lose that excitement. But then when it comes back on, obviously, you get excited again. But I I think that's the main difference for me, even though there is more racing in World Superbikes, because the MotoGP calendar is closer together, I find that I get more excited for MotoGP. If that makes any sense, I don't, I don't know if it does, yeah, but yeah. I get that. But then again, the racing is more exciting in World Superbikes at the moment. I think that comes down to the the bikes mostly. Yeah, yeah. I think that's mainly due to the, as you discussed in previous podcast episodes, the um the aero and MotoGP, because I don't think in World Superbike they don't have it as much. There, see, do you want to get onto the tech stuff now? Because <laughs> I can take that away. <laughs> um, I don't know if you, any of you have seen the site on Twitter, but earlier I was like, I, I basically went down a hole of researching all the tech stuff. But so in World Tooth Bikes, they are what what's called a production slash stock bike. Um, they're only a, like, oh, how am I going to say this? So everything is like, nearly everything is modified to make sure that the bike has like a power higher power outage than your normal standard road bike however there's like um so with air and stuff it's very limited on what you can and can't use so i'm pretty sure in the actual rule book that you're only allowed to have like a wing or something 
if it's on the actual bike itself that they're selling to customers. So like if you're, it, they can't add a wing or add like a little thin on the side, they're not allowed to unless it's on the standard road bike that customers can buy. Um, depending on the bike's original package, they also can't change like suspension. So like you can't have a separate suspension like just to add into the bike. It's like you can adjust it, but you're not allowed like a completely new set of like special shocks and like forks and everything. You're like not allowed to change it at all. Um, so obviously, so one of the main differences between them is MotoGP has a seamless gearbox, which I don't know if you know what it is. Should I just explain it? I'm like, should I just explain it in plain answers? Yeah. So like a seamless gearbox is basically when it goes from one to two, uh, gear one to gear two and then gear three, but it goes like, you know, in a normal car, when you change it, it like jolts and is like in gear one and then it like goes down and then goes up to gear two. Yeah. It doesn't do that in MotoGP bikes. Oh, uh, is it kind of like, like shift on a car when they yeah. have the like paddle shifts yeah so it in world super bikes they don't have that and i think when top Rack was testing the yamaha when, when was that month two months like ago? a couple of weeks ago oh really months ago i don't know when it was whenever it was i thought it was a couple of weeks ago it was in june yeah it was a okay. few weeks ago it was before the last round okay. before the summer break Okay, that's good. I, I don't know when it was. Honestly, this year's been gone by so quick. I wouldn't be surprised. I was like, jeez, I thought that was only a couple of weeks ago. That's been months so It was ago. a couple of weeks. So like when he was testing, he was like the biggest differences for him between his Yamaha bike and the MotoGP spec is the, the fact that the MotoGP bike has a seamless gearbox. It's also down to the brakes. So in MotoGP, they use carbon brakes which I'm not sure the ins and outs of. I will teach myself that eventually, but um, they are very effective. Um, and obviously you have heat, um, they have to be hot to work. And you're like, your suspension has to be hot to work in MotoGP, whereas in World Superbikes, it's not as much of an issue because they use steel brakes. Yeah. I'm not sure how to explain that. I mean, I, I'm not really sure I understand it any further, but that's about all I got. And then basically different materials yeah. one needs to be less hot to work one yeah. needs to be hot to work Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I'm teaching. we can dumb it down <laughs> to the dumbest extreme the moto gp bikes are one of a kind mm. whereas world yeah. super bikes hypothetically you mm. could go out and buy a world super bike yeah obviously like Catherine said they have modifications and that what makes like that is what makes them so powerful etc etc but they hypothetically yes you could go out and be like i want to buy top rack's bike and away yeah. you go down a yamaha and buy his bike whereas i can't be like i'm gonna go buy fabio quattararo's yamaha not possible couldn't yeah. do it. so i think that's like the dumbest yeah. way we could put it but yeah yeah and just another thing on brakes is like for example when they were at Jerez, uh world super bikes use obviously steel brakes and they're less powerful Therefore, the lap time is 2.3 seconds slower than MotoGP. MotoGP also has like dry, it's like dry weight. So without like fuel and stuff, like minimum is 157 kg. Whereas I'm not sure if the World Superbike's minimum weight was dry weight or not without like fuel and stuff, but that was 168. So World Superbike bikes are obviously heavier. Can we go to the next bit? Yes. What's the next bit? Oh, oh yeah 
Um, so as Catherine said, the World Two bike bikes are production bikes. The MotoGP bikes are prototype bikes. So this means they're technically meant to be one of a kind. But as we know, there are two bikes in each team and two riders. So technically there are four bikes. So they're technically not one of a kind. Oh, true, because not everyone gets the same upgrades and the same the same yeah. stuff on their bike. Well, I didn't even think about that. That's true. Yeah. So, like, for example, in Ducati, they race in MotoGP and World Superbike. In MotoGP, they use the... I'm going to absolutely butcher this name, but the Ducati Desmodici GP bike. But in World Superbike, they use the Ducati Panigale. Um, you can go out and buy that bike, the World Superbike bike, as we've already said. In both classes, the bikes are restricted to 1,000cc. However, the power that they produce and how it's produced is hugely different. And that's mainly due to what Catherine said about the World Superbike being quite restricted on what they can do to the bike. Um, whereas the Motor GP bikes can, you can change anything and put anything you want into it. Um, so the Motor GP bikes have around 250 to 300 horsepower. Whereas the World Two bikes have 200 to 250 horsepower, and also the top speeds on both the MotoGP and World Superbike bikes are quite different. Um, obviously, MotoGP bikes are a lot faster, about 30 kilometers per hour faster. The top speed was actually recorded this year, just back in Mugello by Jorge Martin who rode 363 kilometers per hour and I think the top speed recorded by a world Superbike bike was 330 kilometers per hour which is by Chaz Davies I'm not quite sure it's quite hard to find that one out mm-hmm. I'd believe you <laughs> yeah I'm let's go sure with that. it <laughs> we're all yeah um the only thing yeah, so like we were saying, like World Superbike engines are stock bikes. The only engine, uh, the only actually components that are the same, like the crankshaft, the piston, and the conrads, which is why the customers can go out and buy the bikes. Well, there you go. Learn <laughs> something I'm, new every day. I'm so useless with tech. See, when I was reading through it to find the differences with technology, I was like, I don't know anything. But to be fair, the way you both explained it to me. I understand it. I do get oh. the difference between the two of them. Um, so technically, a MotoGP bike is more powerful than mm. a World Superbike. So that's one difference mm. between the two. And also, electronics are completely different as well. I've got in here, but I think we're getting onto that later as well. We can talk about that now. I mean, that if you want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah okay. go ahead. Let us know about the electronics. I didn't write as much down for this because <laughs> I got into this point where I was so down deep into a hole that I was like, Do you know what, I've got to stop. <laughs> um, but no, with the electronics, uh, with MotoGP, they actually have like a computer on the bike, whereas they have a computer on the bike for lots of the bikes, but it's not, I want to say as advanced because they both do different things, but like the computer on the world superbike just records like the data and you plug a laptop into it after the race and download the data like you can't see it 
it happens. Whereas on World to the, uh, whereas on thingy, you can like communicate the bike. I'm pretty sure that's the difference, but I don't know. Do you think it's the same? <laughs> I might be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think also on MotoGP bikes, they only have like one specific ECU. Like every team has the same one. Yeah. Um, and the software package is the same to keep the competition fair. But mm. in World Superbike, the that like the teams can choose, but obviously there is a limit because of the budget. Mm-hmm. And with MotoGP's like data and stuff, um, it's it's a lot it's a lot quicker to access. And I don't want to say more forward, but it does seem a little bit more forward. But then if you think about it. You can buy a world superbike bike so it's it's a bit different so yeah. i guess you could just get like a buy a world superbike bike and then just get your own e- um ecu yeah. and you could literally collect your own data and you could with the motor gp bikes you can like tune all the suspension and everything which you you can you can tune the suspension on the world superbike bikes but there's like a limit on it because of the obviously the, the suspensions themselves and stuff and I'm pretty sure you can like tune the hydraulics, etc., like the brakes stuff with the ECU on the MotoGP bike. And I'm sure you can do that with World Super Bikes. I'm just not sure how different it is. You learn something new every day. Every day is a school day. We're trying. <sighs> I never knew any of it. So now that we've talked a lot about the technical side of things, which is probably the hardest to explain, but I think both you girls did a very, very good job at it. The other things that we can discuss are tracks, because this is quite an interesting one. So for the most part, MotoGP and World Superbikes visit a lot of the same race tracks on their calendar. But a, a difference is, is that some of the races in World Superbikes are quite different so obviously in World Superbikes, mo- like, what am I trying to say? Obviously in World Superbikes, the English round or the British Grand Prix is held in Donington, whereas in MotoGP, the British round is held at Silverstone. That's a big difference, obviously, between the two. They're very, two very different circuits. I've never been to either of them, but I know for a fact that they're very different, but I know you guys have been to them before so you can probably tell me the difference huge difference yeah (laughs) silverstone was obviously i think it was an old airfield like back in the war days and then it got converted into a racetrack so it's very it's completely flat there is no hills or anything whatsoever and donnington is next to an airfield like not an airfield it's next to an airport that's what i'm trying to say (laughs) but it is not flat whatsoever Mm. The only flat bit is probably the hairpin, but then it's still on a slight incline. It's slow. It's it's not very hilly, I'd say. Well, it is, but like it's more like sloping hills, like slow and like it's just such a nice track. Silverstone is unique because of obviously it's had the F one there for so long, but I think Donington in its own right is just. A whole nother level yeah i mean especially talking about the differences with the circuits i mean donnington as you said is is very uh has a lot of undulations yeah is that the right word and that's what i was trying <laughs> to say earlier but i couldn't think of the word <laughs> um, donnington has a lot of undulations and obviously you've got the s it uh, s's and like the, the straights and stuff but even the straights aren't completely flat and it's as you were saying with the hairpin it's not flat 
I mean, yeah, it's, it, it provides very different types of racing as well. Yeah. Like you see a lot of overtakes at um, the S's. What's the actual name of the S's? I forgot what the first bit's Which called. ones? There are two. No, the one before uh, the hairpin. Isn't it the old hairpin? Oh, no, the, other, the foggy S's. Yes, yeah, the foggy S's. I knew what you. I knew you knew what I was on about. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So there's like lots of overtakes there because it's slow, and then obviously you've got the Melbourne hairpin. Yeah. It, it just. It just. Yeah. Whereas Silverstone is a lot more. Slow. I don't want to say Silverstone was built for Formula One, but yeah. I feel like it was when you compare yeah. the two, and especially after just watching the British Grand Prix in Formula One there last weekend, you can definitely see that it's a lot more sweeping and. Yeah. more suited for a car rather than mm-hmm. a motorbike although in saying that I love watching the MotoGP around Silverstone it's still a fun track to watch but it's one of those longer tracks on the circuit I think it's the longest track on the so. MotoGP circuit with with um length but the time yeah. is actually shorter than oh I can't remember it's like Kota yeah I think Kota has the longest time it's up in the two minutes though yeah for track time for a lap time even sorry because then you get to the likes of the saxon ring and it's like a minute 20 something and it's really quick and laps go flying by whereas you get silverstone and they're very long laps and the race is obviously a lot less laps but that is the easiest two tracks to compare the Mm. difference in in that world superbikes go to donington and MotoGP goes to silverstone i don't really know why this is the thing. Well, MotoGP did used to race at Donington, but then I think it got to the point where the facilities at Donington just weren't able to handle the amount of people that were going. Because obviously, yeah. Valentino was Valentino has won at Donington yeah. when it MotoGP went there, and obviously he was huge. And the amount of like fans he must have brought to the sport, and I just think the venue couldn't handle the amount of people that were going. I remember me and my dad, one, I, we went on a Friday session because like, we couldn't get tickets for the Sunday at Donington when I was really young. And we were like up by the fences and we got there at like five o'clock in the morning. And it was like insane. On a Friday. Oh, That's it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that just, yeah. I mean, it was, it was good fun. Don, uh, Carly and I are going to Donington next week for the last <laughs> I'm surprised it took you that long to drop that yeah. one. Yeah, I, I was waiting for it the whole time. I was waiting for the perfect moment, and that's the perfect moment. <laughs> so I Carly's, do really. Carly's very oh, no, lucky. Good. I was going to say because she's going to Donington and oh. then Silverstone, <sighs> so she gets to try both out. So she can let us know exactly what the difference is between the two tracks. I do because... actually prefer Donington to Silverstone. I think Silverstone was kind of built for the F1 cars. Yeah. Because, like, everyone always says in F1, like, the Maggots-Beckett section is so fast. But, like, in MotoGP, it's, like, you obviously have to turn the bike. So you can't go, like, in the F1 cars, they go, like, flat out. I don't know if you... Because you, Carly, you've also experienced both. I don't know if we want to talk about the difference and differing in the experiences of them. Just another idea to yeah. add because the fact that you get like the pit lane and stuff like you not yeah lane, I definitely open. think well MotoGP is definitely more expensive mm-hmm. but yeah. 
I think it's an okay price for for what you're paying for like the whole weekend you can get general admission of like 90 pound I think which oh less I than that in some places I yeah mean, in... but like for Silverstone I think that's yeah. what it cost but I think that's okay because um in some of the MotoGP rounds it was ridiculously priced for like uh, where like Indonesia Indonesia and um, Magello. France I think it was ridiculously expensive but it still sold out like I know apparently it was a lot cheaper oh was no, it yeah yeah oh maybe that's, that's why that sold out then Magello was expensive oh, and everyone yeah, was expecting Magello to be literally packed to the rafters and it was busy but it was noticeably quiet and that's something that we did talk about in the podcast episode for that race review was the the price difference and we talked about it in our mid-season review as well yeah. actually um because I bought tickets to go to Mizano and it was over 300 euros for a weekend ticket for the start finish straight grandstand and I just I don't know how I can justify spending that amount of money because then I went and looked at other circuits and was like why have I just paid that much money to go to Mizano it was a bit crazy like it'll be worth it but when you see the ticket prices for other MotoGP rounds it doesn't really make much sense surely there's something we can do to make it more general budget for all rounds to make it more accessible for people whereas World Superbikes is cheaper yeah it's like yeah um I paid 60 pounds for my ticket the full for three days next week yeah yeah so Um, it's like half not half the price but like you know what I mean it is noticeably cheaper yeah and And you get more racing yeah you get more racing but you also get a better experience I think as as someone that like went to both obviously I went in a different country at the time but (laughs) in in Kato the paddock was open you can go in there was a paddock show um obviously I won the world superbike quiz that Michael Hill does Um, (laughs) I got a tour through the pit lane when we when we meet up Catherine we will be going to the paddock show I will be dragging you on stage and we will be winning yeah don't worry we got it but (laughs) but definitely but like the experience for world superbikes I think is considerably kind of better yeah I think the the paddock is more open like at um Silverstone they did have like a paddock show like I think in 2019 they had like loads of the riders come up on stage they had like Marquez, Dobby, um, Alex Frins and like some of them did come down and sign stuff if you stood in front Um, but like with the old superbike one you can pay to have like a pit lane um what's it called pit lane walk yeah that's what's called why can i win them yeah you can win them as well um like there's meet and greet sessions like scheduled into the day yeah no like to be there and like it's all free whereas in Uh, the pit lane walk was like 25 pound but like with most gp you can't even pay that much which year i went it was like restricted and Mm -hmm. they did have like barriers up because like just so you couldn't go directly into the like where the lorries are but like they would just like the riders would just walk past because the hospitality was in one bit and you could literally just ask them to sign stuff and they would yeah. I mean it, it Donington's when I went for BSV just it seems a lot more open than it would be for MotoGP and I I think the experience that you get from it especially as a as a kid when I was younger going to stuff it 
I found the World Superbikes a bit more enthralling because like you, yeah. have them right you there. feel like you're more involved yeah whereas I think MotoGP is a bit more oh you can't touch them they're stars you know yeah. I think that is the case to a certain extent I find I've been to a MotoGP one MotoGP race um and we didn't get to see that much but I think that's honestly just where our seats were in the grandstand that we were at we were very sectioned off from the rest of the racetrack but I feel like the MotoGP paddock is very similar to a Formula One paddock, or it's getting that way anyway. I feel it like it's even less like accessible than the F1 because yeah. in the F1, I always see people like waiting outside. You know, they have the like yeah. barriers. They always wait outside, but sometimes you can't even wait outside in a MotoGP paddock. Yeah, like you can't even access it. Like. I don't know. Anik and I never tried when we were in Mizano last year. You should have. (laughs) But that's just because our entrance was different to like the main entrance. We had a different entrance down the side. And like I said, that's compared to where our seats are. But I I do agree with Catherine just on what I can see on the TV is that it feels like everything MotoGP is sort of set back a bit. And unless you pay the big money to go get a VIP ticket or you have the access to walk Mm -hmm. up and down pit lane, you're not getting there and you're not getting up close to these people. Whereas yeah. from what I've heard of World Superbikes and like you have literally said to me, like you can literally get in and involved almost I mean, with it. When you watch this year, I think I think it started this year and they started doing the paddock show as the podium. So I've always done that. Have they? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't think they did it during well, they, COVID they then maybe. <laughs> oh, maybe they just didn't, didn't do it but like you can when you watch the podium you literally like Bautista he when you, he rides down there's just like all the fans like waiting and then he literally jumped into the crowd of fans like yeah like you didn't have to pay for that yeah they, they, they drive they used to in, in Qatar they would drive through the garage and come into Park Fernie there'd be a little podium they do like a, a podium service there and then they got the one up on the terrace and do one for the trans and the grandstand that didn't come over yeah but like they basically did too but I it it was so fun but I think another difference is is that like media itself in Mm -hmm. both paddocks is very different because again world superbikes you get to see all that sort of stuff that you just mentioned whereas in MotoGP I don't think you see as much behind the scenes from a media person and a media point of view and I see it a lot on Twitter because I follow a lot of the people who do media for MotoGP and they they're not allowed to you can't take pick like there's pictures that they can't take you can't report certain stuff and it all feels very closed off which is very Mm. interesting when you hear a MotoGP rider say that they hate media and they hate this that and the other but I don't understand how because they definitely don't face as much media as other motorsports do because it's a very closed off Mm. paddock and if you don't know who to follow or if you literally just watch your stream or on BT Sport you don't get a very good inside into what the MotoGP paddock is like. Whereas that's another difference. Like if you go to a MotoGP race, you don't get as much. And then the media outside of the circuit watching on TV, you don't get as much. Whereas with World Superbikes, I feel like you get more. And then when you're actually at the circuit, you also get more. So I think that is a very, very big difference between the two of them. As a fan watching it or going to experience it, you get very, very different experiences. So probably one of the biggest um, differences is the budget 
which you kind of already touched on, but obviously in MotoGP, they have a much higher budget than in World Superbike. And in World Superbike, they have set price limits that they can't exceed, depending yeah. on the item. Yeah, so that, that's like, I was reading the specs list, and it's like you can't spend more than 8,000 euros on a swing arm set, which you're not actually allowed in MotoGP. I don't actually know what it is. I was just reading what it was, but it didn't tell me what it was. <laughs> So I don't know what a swing arm thing is, but I will learn. <laughs> but like, there's like different components and stuff. Like the stock engine, I think you can't spend like ten thousand euros, like more than. So like, I'd, yeah. So it's all very. This is what you can and can't do in me. Whereas in MotoGP, it's like spend as much money as you want. <laughs> I think that more depends on like sponsorship and stuff. Yeah. I think that's a big thing because you can yeah, notice definitely. the difference between say like a satellite team and a, a factory team which obviously you know the difference between the two mm-hmm. and I think that's more where the budget in MotoGP comes in whereas in World Superbikes it seems to be more of a price cap mm-hmm. no, no I see I also just I, it is down to sponsors um I've seen teams I'm not going to name the team because <laughs> Um, Catherine, we don't want any drama. Yeah, no, I don't, not I don't want any drama. <laughs> but like, I, I've seen like the insides of yeah, and it is down to sponsors. A team has yeah. to change their whole name and like the whole colours and everything. I mean, if if you're smart enough, you could probably go check. But <laughs> um, it's oh, no. <laughs> but like they had to. It was a super sport team. They had to change everything because of sponsors. I think sponsors are massive in all motorsport. It's I don't think that necessarily. Yeah, I suppose you could say the same though in MotoGP. The most recent thing would be well, that comes to my mind anyway is obviously Petronas Yamaha, mm-hmm. then becoming RNF Yamaha, and then RNF pulling their sponsorship from Yamaha and changing it to Aprilia, which now means that Yamaha don't have a sponsorship, so they're not running a satellite bike at mm-hmm. the minute for next season, and mm-hmm. I think that's a big one because obviously. Yamaha have always had a satellite bike for as long as I can remember anyway mm-hmm. and it's yeah sponsorship is obviously a big thing because they can't just run the team mm-hmm. themselves it's like Monster Energy Yamaha has a massive sponsorship from Monster mm-hmm. they probably and couldn't run otherwise in World Superbikes I think it's very much it's not someone that has just decided to pull this money out and spend it on a team it is very much like um the factories have gone to sponsors and then like how much can you give us for us to run this team and that's sort of what I I think it's actually quite similar in that regard except the fact that obviously World Superbike do have a cap on how much they uh how much they can spend on the bike I don't think they have a cap on how much they can spend in the team but they definitely have a cap on how much they spend on different bike parts and stuff yeah that makes sense. I suppose then uh, something that is quite similar is the teams that run in both classes. When we're talking about budgets and stuff like that, I think it is good to mention who runs in which class. So obviously in MotoGP, we currently have Yamaha, Ducati, Aprilia, Suzuki, Honda and KTM. And then in World Superbikes, we have Yamaha, Ducati, Honda, BMW and Kawasaki. So slight differences, mm. but I mean, in MotoGP, there is more manufacturers, but in the same breath, Ducati have eight bikes on the grid. But obviously then in MotoGP, I mean, 
Ducati have eight bikes on the grid. Next season, Yamaha are only going to have two bikes on the grid. There's no real regulations as to which teams have however many bikes. It just Ducati have the dominance and everyone else sort of seems to run two bikes and maybe a satellite team sort of thing. Um, whereas in World Superbikes, I'm not entirely sure how many bikes of each manufacturer they run. Hey, Honda. Yeah. Six BMW. Yeah. And, and five. Five to Cali. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. But I think the list includes some wild cards, but I'm just saying that's how many have been on the grid. Yeah. I mean, with MotoGP, there's four Yamahas, eight Ducatis, two Aprilias, two Suzuki's, four Hondas, and four KTMs. It's much easier to remember this. Yeah, I don't I think, know why. I think it's because the um, most GP grid also only have 22 riders. Yeah. Yeah, and the World Superbike have about 30. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because there's a lot of um, teams that only run one bike. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's Sorry. fair enough. Now that we've talked all things sort of technical about the tracks, about the budget and the teams, I think we should sort of go on to the riders now because I think this is the biggest point in our question of is World Superbikes a step down from MotoGP? Because the riders obviously are the main thing. They're the people riding the bikes. For me personally, I think there is not a stigma as such, but there is... I think generally a thing that Moto- or that World Superbikes has seen not as a step down but it's MotoGP is the pinnacle of the sport for a lot of people I know not for everyone so when someone leaves the MotoGP paddock it is seen that they are taking a step down but mm. obviously I don't know that's not the case for everyone it's very different there's obviously riders in World Superbikes that have never rode in MotoGP there's you know a lot of things but anyway um I think the main one we should start with is obviously top rack I mean it's the most talked about thing at the minute is that top rack has obviously gone into world superbikes he is the reigning world champion and it is now rumored that he is going to MotoGP a lot of people are excited about it but people are you know people are seeing it as a step up for him but is it he's already a world champion see the, the thing the thing that's spoken about top rack the most is <laughs> which I don't know if it's fair the thing that's spoken about the most I seem to see on social media with top rack moving across is why did Jonathan Ray never move across this is the thing with Jonathan Ray and I actually have it written down here do you want me to go on my spiel about <laughs> Jonathan Ray yeah, yeah. so Jonathan Ray six-time world superbike world champion was never actually offered a MotoGP seat not once I watched a podcast with him recently he did an episode with a local comedian and it was a really insightful episode and I'll actually send it to you guys um if you haven't watched it it was I watched it yeah it was the she and Todd podcast tea with me it's called and they did a fantastic episode Shane's dad rode motorbikes when he was younger so he he seemed to have a good understanding of the world of motorsport and Johnny seemed really open to talk to him and when the option like when the discussion sorry came up of MotoGP it was really interesting to find out that he'd never actually been offered a MotoGP seat even though he's had two wild cards in the past he filled in for Casey Stoner Mm -hmm. when he was unwell 
Johnny did really well in those two wildcard appearances. I think he finished in the top 10, which is impressive. But then obviously Mark Marquez was coming up the ranks for Honda and Honda mm. had their eyes on him because this was in 2012. And obviously Mark Marquez signed and rode with them for 2013 onwards. It's a really interesting topic. And yeah, a lot of people say to him, why'd you never move? And it's just like, well, why do you assume that there's a door open? And then to find out that there wasn't any, I have never been so surprised in my life to find that out. Yeah, I think there's just such a huge talent pool for MotoGP. Like, obviously, you've got the Moto2 lot. People can jump up straight from Moto3. Like, you've got both those classes. And then if you're taking in cons- into consideration, like, World Superbike, that's, like, a whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the main reasons is that Kawasaki don't have a MotoGP team. So it would have been easier, like, with Toprak, he would have been going to Yamaha. Yeah. If I guess they did have um, a satellite team next year, like because then he could have gone into the factory team or something. Yeah, but obviously yeah. they don't. It's, so it seemed for Top Rack more, or it still does. I don't want to close that door for myself, but it does seem that Top Rack has a way into MotoGP that maybe mm-hmm. other riders haven't had. The only difference with Top Rack is that he's a Red Bull sponsored rider and Yamaha is obviously sponsored by Monster Energy, like I mentioned earlier. But that's like a minor detail, I think, in the grand scheme of things. I, I think it's I, do, I yeah. honestly do because I think it's more him. I don't think and his it would manager. make that much of a difference that's what because to um, if you look at Ducati, yeah, Jack and Peko are yeah. Monster and Red Bull. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jack is sponsored by a Red Bull and Peck is sponsored by Monster. But the difference with that is, is that the bike itself isn't sponsored by an energy drink. The mm. riders are sponsored by the yeah. energy drinks, whereas guess, Yamaha is yeah. Monster Energy Yamaha. Yeah. I was just going to say, on the point of the fact that he look at who his manager is. Yes. Mr. Fogley has, is, has always been a Red Bull sponsor. Yeah. And I do think he's... I'm not disregarding Top Rack's talent whatsoever, but Keenan is a very talented talker and he's a lovely person. And he just, the fact that he has Dennis on shoe and can on shoe in World Superbikes as well, because he sponsors all of them, is a good thing. He has the contacts to move them across, whereas, which was, I don't think was open before. And I think not giving all the credit to Keenan, but I do think he's been one of the main drivers in trying to get him across. Yeah, I think because obviously he's confirmed that he's not going to um, MotoGP next season, but he is definitely open for offers for 2024. Um, and I think it was Keenan who said, in, in, in he was interviewed by Eurosport, I think it was, and he said, or maybe it was MotoGP when he was in the MotoGP paddock, one of the two, um, he said like, yeah, we're open for offers and we're not just looking at Yamaha in 2024. We're looking at everywhere. So you never know. We might see Top Rack on a Ducati or a Honda or some of them. I don't know. I think he was just saying that, to be honest. I think Yamaha <laughs> has to be his biggest bet. When he says that 2024 is what they're looking at, I honestly think that's because Frankie Morbidelli's Yamaha contract finishes at the end of 2023. It makes the most sense in my head. 
that that would be what is going to happen obviously because they used to have a satellite team there was more options there but because the satellite team is now sort of we're not sure if they're going to have one or not it makes more sense that they've decided to take another year at world superbikes and then try and get him across into MotoGP. i mean he's had a test on the yamaha it all sort of is lining up for him to be announced in MotoGP in 2024 i mean the one thing that i sort of i don't i don't want to divert the conversation back to jonathan ray but it sort of like influences the conversation in the fact that when he was winning his titles um I remember my dad, he said to him, can you, can you stop, can you stop winning so someone else can? But that's what I've sort of, I hope Top Rack doesn't do. Because World Superbikes can become comfortable. Yeah. He just keeps winning. I, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're, some riders stay in classes because they're really good at it, at that particular class. Like, yeah. King Fogley was really good at World Supersport. He went up to World Superbikes and wasn't as great, so he went back down to World Supersport. And won again, which I don't think I think he should have saved the one super bikes. But that's that's the thing. I think the generalization, which is what I was trying to say earlier, but I don't think I got my point across as much. But like people start in Moto three, they move up to Moto two, they get to Moto GP. It maybe doesn't work out for them the way that they wanted it to. They go to World Super Bikes. Yeah, is classic example. Ikelaquina. Exactly. It's very often the case that that's how things happen now i know that is not the case for everyone we see riders coming in from everywhere and we see riders moving to everywhere just because you get to moto gp and then you don't make it doesn't mean you have to go to world super bikes but it is something that we've seen a lot and like carly mentioned i Lacuna is a good example there's other examples of people who rode in moto gp that ended up in world super bikes i mean batista Road in yeah. MotoGP. I used to be such I mean, a Batista fan. He's leading the championship in World Superbike so, now. Yeah. So it shows <laughs> this year looks great for him. It shows he clearly had the talent. The bike. What, what bike was he on? What last year? In MotoGP. Well, obviously, Lewis ra- bike. I can't remember who. Did it he was. ride the Honda? He rode Suzuki back when Suzuki oh, was really? in MotoGP and then they left. And then, and then they, they came back, came back. Yeah. And he used to ride a Suzuki because my dad was always a Batista fan. Aprilia, and... Suzuki, Honda, Aprilia, Ducati, yeah. and MotoGP. We rode all of them. It <laughs> uh, was just dumb. like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah and not, to be fair, Batista's been out of MotoGP for a while now. And this year he looks strong. And I know there's other years that he's looked strong as well. But just because you've left MotoGP doesn't mean that your career and winning championships is over. Another example we have, obviously, is Carlos Checa, um, Marco Melandri, Silvan oh. Guntole, which is a massive one, considering he is obviously the test rider for Suzuki at the minute mm-hmm. um, in MotoGP, and he has been seen in appearances when one of the two riders can't ride. Um, Nicky Hayden is a great example, and obviously Scott Redding as well. And Scott Redding ha- didn't go to World Superbike straight away. He rode in MotoGP. He went back to basics and i think he went to bsb won it yeah yeah and then went and to then world super bikes he had to sort of prove himself again to prove that he was good enough to be where he is and i mean he's been battling for championships and world super bikes as well so yeah. it's really interesting to see all these different routes that people have taken and sort of getting onto the routes that people have taken only two people 
uh, two riders have won in both categories. So Max Biaggi won two World Superbike titles in 2010 and in 2012, although the 2012 one, I don't know if you remember it, it was a little bit controversial, <laughs> but he, he, I don't know if you remember it, I remember my dad raising, but like, <laughs> he lost to Tom Sykes. Uh, no, one, Tom Sykes lost to him, is what I meant, but um, by like half a point. I can't even remember why it was half a point, but um, he also won four 250cc championships in 94, 95, 96, and 97. Yeah. And then John Kaczynski? Yeah. Yeah. Kuzinski. You had it right. <laughs> won one 250 championship in 1990 and then won a World Superbike Championship in 1997. Where it, so they both went and won in a 250 series and then went to World Superbikes, which sort of goes with that part of world superbike they only went to world superbikes later in their career but i do think as sort of carly was saying it's a massive ball of talent i do think it it does baffle me the fact that you know jonathan ray didn't have that to work to him and do you know the only, only reason though i didn't get to mention it the only reason that i think maybe there wasn't doors open is that in 2012 he hadn't won any championships mm-hmm. And is that something that maybe stopped it? Whereas if he was a six-time world champion by the time in 2012, I'd say there would have been a door open. And then when you look at it now, yeah, he is a six-time world champion, but he's older now. I'm not saying he's old, like old, too old to be in the sport or anything. He's but he's old for like MotoGP. Yeah, a team's like, not I mean, gonna be like. Look at I Fabio. Won. He's yeah. like in his twenties. But Mark Marquez is being seen as old these days and he's 29 and they're like, Mark Marquez is getting over the hill. And it's like, honestly, when when I get to like 29 and people were saying, oh yeah, they're they're too old to be in MotoGP, I'm going to be like, excuse me? What? (laughs) Valentino Rossi anyone? I know. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. Like Rossi was 42 when he retired. I mean, he's only had his first child now. I know he's finally like, I say finally settled down. <laughs> he settled down, like yeah, he's got but, a partner and a child and everyone was calling him to leave the sport. I mean, I watched Hitting the Apex recently and it was filmed obviously sort of 2012, 2013 sort of time. Mm-hmm. And they were saying then that he was done. And I know he he was actually done winning world championships and at the time they didn't know he was gonna stay for ten more years, but like he wasn't done because there was 2012 the does not feel like 10 years ago no it doesn't let's not talk about that that makes me feel uh, awful <laughs> i remember that i remember when he went to Ducati because i was such a valentino rossi fan mm, and it was the worst two years sad. ever yeah. but off topic mm. yeah but i think the thing with johnny ray is if he'd had six world championship titles in 2012 th- i think there would have been a door mm. but the fact that he has them now and is mm-hmm. slightly older than the majority of the MotoGP grid. And as well, Kawasaki don't run a MotoGP team, which is something that we talked about. Could be the reason as for now that there isn't doors open. But I don't think he wants to go anymore. I think mm-hmm. 10 years ago, if you said to go, yeah, of course he would have jumped at that. But now I think he knows he's won the titles. No one can take that away from him. He's one of the most decorated people in World Superbikes. Mm-hmm. Um, he still has the chance to win championships like he could win this championship this year like it's really exciting to watch still so and also I, I was watching earlier because World Superbikes put on the put on race one from 2014 at Donington on for free 
and I was sat watching it because I was prepping for this episode and I was like I'll put it on while I'm doing my research <laughs> and it was weird because back then Jonathan Ray wasn't necessarily at the front yeah it was like uh Loris Baz internally Sykes was I think Sykes won the race Alex was on the podium um and like it was just, it was just weird I mean Jonathan Ray still came third in 2014 but it's just it's the fact that you look back now and like it's all changed yeah big time but I think I think um we should move on slightly so as I mentioned at the very start we proposed this question to our Twitter followers and we did get some responses from people and I think it would be a good time to sort of read through these responses because some of them are very very interesting and I'd like to to know your girls' opinions on them so is World Superbikes a step down from MotoGP? Now, this person replied, I don't think it should be seen as a step down. The riders in World Superbike are certainly very skilled, but I guess MotoGP does hold a certain prestige and it is the main class. So that is sort of what we've talked about. Mm-hmm. There is sort of this air about MotoGP and it's, it is seen as the, the main big class, but is it? you know what I mean like they're I don't know see my my sort of I guess we're chatting about this later as well but my sort of thoughts on it is I don't think it's a step down I think it's a different type of talent yeah because the bikes are completely different it's a completely my dad likes to use the phrase it's a completely different beast I'm like (laughs) I like that yeah so do I that's why I thought I'd use it (laughs) um but it's completely different so I don't think they can be used at the same I do agree with the fact that like MotoGP seems to be like the F1 of car racing do you know it's got like that air of yeah as you said prestige I yeah. mean I don't think it should but that's just kind of the way it is <laughs> yeah okay so the next one is hmm is it really I mean World Superbike used road road bikes rather than prototypes like GP ensuring the connection between the market and the manufacturers we talked about this a lot um that this person thinks it's the main difference of the bikes that they use which of course is a massive difference as we talked about earlier but otherwise they're saying what is the difference they're both the world stage Mm -hmm. yeah i I agree yeah yeah Yeah, i mean like this it is the world stage at the end of the day and both are one's road racing just one is just purely racing yeah okay we'll we'll move on this one is yes and no there's still elite talent there examples ray batista top rack would all arguably be in the top five in moto gp right now but it's very thin when it comes to competition if you're not on one of the front free bikes you won't be anywhere near the front recently scott redding shown this World Superbikes has lost a lot of what it had in the 2000s when it was arguably a match for MotoGP where there was Haga, Toslin, Bayless, etc. The talent pool is there at the front but the factory support and level of talent isn't what it once was in World Superbike. So slightly long-winded answer but I would agree I would also with agree. everything said. So- I do think in World Superbike there are uh, there isn't very much younger talent yeah yeah like there isn't if we're looking at rookies 
we have Ika Laquona and Chavi Vieje, who have obviously come from MotoGP. And I would consider them younger. I mean, yeah. Chavi, I know, I mean, Ika is like 21, 22. Yeah. Um, but like, then you have some of the other ones, like Havish Sirene, who's like been in MotoGP for a mm. while, like Moto2, and then he's come back to motor racing this year yeah. to be in World Superbike. But like he's like no one is really at the front apart yeah. from like obviously Honda are improving, but they've got two rookies on their bikes. Yeah. I, see, my thoughts with this are very. I I, I don't know. I'll say. Should it we and... should we do it bit by bit because it's quite a long answer. So. Ray Batista top rack would all arguably be in the top five in MotoGP right now was the first statement as such that we can sort of talk about. I don't know about that. I also don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, but the, the only thing that I maybe don't, what bikes would they be on? And we've had yeah. this conversation before is the bike matters. I think when it comes to, to MotoGP at the minute the bike definitely matters um and we've had the conversation of would top rack like how would top rack fare on the Yamaha right now sort of thing mm-hmm. I don't know if they would be in the top five but I think it's just because the racing at the minute is so different as well mm-hmm. yeah I agree I don't know like you get to the front of a MotoGP race you have a very high chance of winning World Superbikes, not the case. I mean, they are overtaking at every single corner. It's a big debate that we've had a lot that the World Superbike racing is more exciting. But yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know. My point kind of goes across both of his statements. But when I when I used to go watch World Superbikes, World Supersport would excite me more than World Superbikes because yeah. I went in the era of. Jonathan Ray domination, which obviously it was, it was the rest of it was entertaining if you, if because obviously he was off for like two seconds. <laughs> yeah. And, but like the rest of it was entertaining. But I really loved World Superbikes because, uh, World Supersport, because it was like Sandra Cortese, Randy Krimanaka, yeah. Luca Mahias, like all of these like really talented riders. And it got to, I remember, um, I can't remember what year it was. Who won? I interviewed Keenan Safoglu. And it was between uh, Sandra Cortese and Jules Cazelle for the championship. And obviously, Qatar's the last race. I remember Jules Cazelle binned it last corner um, to lose. He just had to finish and he would have won. Ooh. And he lost his championship. But like, it made it so exciting because yeah. like, it was so unpredictable. And like, there was like, I'm pretty sure it was Randy Kramanakis, Cortese, uh, Jules, and there was one other person still in the title on the last race of the season and I just I just think that makes it so interesting and I suppose you could argue sort of the same with MotoGP is some people find Moto2 and Moto3 more entertaining than MotoGP oh yeah I have said that like without a doubt Moto3 Mm. is my favorite class at the minute because the racing is just so exciting but yeah exactly and it's like that sort of thing of I do get what you're saying. Saying World Superbikes isn't as entertaining as it was in the 2000s. Oh yeah, I'll say that. But at the moment, it is. But it depends because it's like, what bike are they on? Like the front three are doing really well, but then the rest of them are sort of. Do you know? But that's what he said as well. Is that yeah. unless you're in one of the top three bikes, you're mm-hmm. not 
you're not going to do well. And that's, I say that with a, a pinch of salt because obviously Carly said about the rookies and stuff like that. I mean, we have Aikulu Kuna who is doing fantastic this season, mm-hmm. but he is finishing sort of fourth, fifth. He's not in that lead pack. Yeah. And then already mentioned Scott Redding as well, which was spoken about in this comment was, I mean, last year he was battling for the championship. The year before that, I think he was battling as well. He was on the Ducati, but moved to BMW this year. And he is struggling a lot. I don't doubt his talent, but I just don't think that bike is one of the top three. It was you can really see the difference. It was the same the other way around when Bautista was on, because Bautista yeah. was BMW last year and he's now back on the Ducati. I pray that he stays on the Ducati because I really like Bautista. <laughs> but, um, I just, yeah, but it's it's that same thing. It's, I completely agree with what you said. Is It's just, yeah. Unfortunately, like you said, if you're not in the front three bikes, it's not as, you're not necessarily challenging for the title. I don't even think it's, you have to be on the front three bikes because if you look at their teammates, their teammates aren't even normally in the front group. It's just, I think it's just they're so talented, those three riders. Yeah. They just have some sort of special, like, I don't even know what it is, but like, if you look at all of their teammates, like um, Alex Lowe's, he mm. normally can't keep up with them. Um, I can't think of them. Rinaldi. Rinaldi is yes. uh, Rinaldi. <laughs> Ronaldo keeps up. He sometimes keeps up, but I think yeah. he struggles a bit at the end of He's the races. He's done really good this season, mm. though, to keep yeah. up, I think, definitely. because I think it is a bit of a make-or-break situation with him, though, because he has been with Ducati for a couple of years yeah. now, and he's not yeah. really been fighting for the championship yeah. as much as his teammate has, like Scott Redding, and then this yeah. year, Bautista. Um, and, and then Locatelli. Um, I just... They're all just... I think the main one that can keep up with them is Rinaldi, but Locatelli and Luz just don't. The three, like Ray, Pautis and Toprak, normally all at the front. Yeah. And they're like pulling away. And then there's like the chasing pack, which is normally all their teammates and like the Honda boys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's fair. I would love, World Superbikes is one that I would love to put all of them on the same bike moto 2 style all on the same bike all the same electronics literally carbon copy bikes and see who would fare the best but then Mm. obviously that comes into the argument of like just because you're a good moto 2 rider doesn't mean you're going to be a good moto gp rider so like just because someone's a good world superbike rider if we put them all on the exact same bikes someone would obviously come off worse than the rest of them i don't know but i still think it would be a fun little test to do in world superbikes because there is that sort of talent pool at the front um mm-hmm. but yeah i think we uh that one was a really good point actually that that he made um but the yeah. last one we have here is the is world superbike scene as a step down and this person said prestige any young boy or girl that sets off to do the spanish junior championship has aspirations to go to MotoGP, even in his native Ireland, I can confirm nobody knows who Jonathan Ray is, which is crazy. So that's a big fat lie. I'm just going to put it up I was going to say. He, he is well known. Um, maybe it's because I live in the area or close to the area where Jonathan Ray is from. 
Um, I mean, we have a few riders from here. We have Glenn Irwin, Andrew Irwin. There's loads. I can't even start listing them all off. But I am from that part in Northern Ireland where, like, Jonathan Ray literally lives up the road from me. So I don't know if that's just because I'm from here that I don't have that in my head. But people know who he is. Sports personality in Ireland every year. Yeah, but he gets snubbed every year at the BBC Sporty Award. No, I swear he gets it. He got it last year. Not not for the UK. In no, Ireland, no, yeah. In Ireland, yeah. Yeah, but in Ireland, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because for the UK, it's always someone, like, some footballer. Yeah. I don't even know. Because people get... Really- Actually, no, that's a lie, because this year, last this last year, really it was... Way- I thought it was Emma Raducanu. Yeah, yeah, it was. Anyway, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, she's great. <laughs> but yeah, um, he always gets snubbed for the UK, like the UK mm. sports personality of the year. But yeah, he's one of the biggest sports personalities in Ireland. And again, maybe it's just because of the people I know and where I'm from. When he didn't get nominated for it, there was carnage. People were in uproar about it. There was petitions being signed. People were absolutely raging about it because he wasn't con- even considered or in the shortlist, which he yeah. should be. He is one of the most decorated sports persons from Northern Ireland. We're a very talented little country. And the <laughs> fact that he got completely rode off, it was like, what? So I don't agree with that statement but (laughs) in the grand scheme of things I can understand where this person is coming from it's very similar in the world of MotoGP and you say oh I watch MotoGP and someone goes what and then you say Valentino Rossi and they go oh I know what you mean now Mm -hmm. I don't think there is that name for world superbikes so I'm I'm contradicting myself slightly because I don't think you go world superbikes and they go oh I don't know and then you say Jonathan Ray and they go, oh, yeah, I think here you could do that. But I, I agree in that maybe around the world, you wouldn't be able to do that. I kind of disagree. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's only on the fact that I grew up in the Middle East. Yeah. Okay. And we had World Superbikes before. Like, the problem is, is World Superbikes were more advertised than MotoGP, which sounds insane. But yeah. that's the way that it was, because they had the... Obviously, we had the Asia Talent Cup come mm. for MotoGP, but that wasn't advertised. And so Qatar has its own, like, national domestic British, not British super sport, obviously, Qatari super sport. It's Qatar Motor Motor Federation, which sounds so funny, but that's what it's called. Um, so they have, like, their own stuff. But people always like, oh, well, we want to be in more superbikes. So, uh, we had, uh, there was a separate team, a Qatari team, Sayed al Sayyidi raced the world super bikes the two years that for two years that I went I feel like it just depends and I I feel like it's a you can't really say people don't look up to him in the world because that's like very (laughs) it depends on like where you're from and definitely it's definitely dependent where you're from I could talk I spoke about Jonathan Ray a lot in school but then a lot of my teachers were Irish so yeah Irish or you know I don't know what else were they Irish Indian but the teachers that I have one of my teachers was Spanish she knew I think me it, well. yeah I think it's just very hard because we are interested in the sport yeah to say what an outsider would think about it because obviously we don't know but, <laughs> but I think in this case I don't even know what I think in this case but yeah. see 
I, I just think that he, he, he world superbikes is something people do aspire to be and yeah you aspire probably more to be a MotoGP and that is completely fair I mean I, th- I think if we take the spin on it, I know I've mentioned F1 quite a few times in this, but I, I do think it is a good way to sort of compare. Yes, F1 is the pinnacle of car racing, mm-hmm. is seen as the pinnacle of car racing. But that's not to say that a young kid wants to grow up and be an IndyCar driver nice. or now wants to be a Formula E driver or wants to go and do rally cars mm-hmm. or wants to go do... the Indy 500 like I I don't know like you know Mm. it's so very different or they want to be like a 24 hour of spa or something like that I don't know or Le Mans something crazy like that so Le Mans a bit bigger than yeah I don't know why spa came to my head first it it happened a while ago and I was like spa um but yeah just because MotoGP is seen as the pinnacle doesn't mean that that's what everyone wants to grow up and do there, I'm sure there is plenty of young kids out there and aspiring people that if they got to world superbikes would just would be just as happy mm-hmm. as they would be getting to MotoGP so I don't know I'm sure there's people out there who get to BSB and think they've made it in the world which yeah. why not like if that is what you've set your sights on I don't see why that can't be seen as yeah. the biggest thing for you so yeah definitely I agree <laughs> I don't know I feel like I just ramble in situations like this again I don't ride bikes so I always feel like I can't comment on this but that is my opinion on it anyway but I think we've talked a lot I think we've made some really really good points but should we conclude on this episode yes this will be a fun one so here we go to conclude do we think that World Superbikes is a step down from MotoGP? No. <laughs> no. No. I'm glad we all agree on that. It never was. No. And it never will be. I yeah. think the big thing that I want to make my point across is that it's not a step down. It's it's definitely not. There's no way about it. But there is still this perceived image that it is a step down. And we need to remove that. I think if Top Rat gets into MotoGP, that will break yeah. a lot of the stigma. I mean, Johnny Ray talking openly about not being offered seats is a massive thing. Yeah, I think it just needs to be normalized completely. Yeah. Um. I think a few years ago, I could have been convinced that World Superbikes was a step down. But getting more into the sport and seeing it and being more interested in it, you can really see that it's not. I mean, they are both the highest of the high. You know, like they are two world-class classes. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. But yeah, I mean, these guys are all super talented. I've always said anyone who rides in any of the MotoGP classes is an incredible talent the same goes for world superbikes anyone who is racing a motorbike is talented so mm-hmm. i don't think it is a step down from moto gp i would like to see more of a free movement between the two yeah. classes i think yeah. would help a lot but that's just my opinion but and yeah. not just from moto gp to world superbikes yeah. i think that's why a lot of people are thinking that it's a step down because it's like with Ikalikona, for example, it's like there was no space for him. Yeah. And KTM didn't 
I don't guess they didn't want him anymore. So <laughs> he had to look elsewhere and he got, he found a seat in the Honda team and World Superbike. And people were like, oh, well, he's been kicked out, like fired from the team, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's taken a step down. But, he's, so but that's like, the crazy thing to me because he's been seen to take a step down from MotoGP where he was finishing at the back of the grid. He's now finishing, I mean, he's finished on the podium, fourth, fifth, yeah. inside the top 10, consistently week in, week out. How is I mean, that a step down? I don't even think, yeah, it's not a step down because if you look at who's on the bike now, Remy and Raul, they're still at the back of the grid. Yeah. It's, yeah. I think the main thing was the bike and with Ike, he did get, I think he got put into MotoGP when he was like 16 mm-hmm. or something ridiculous. Moto 2, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And he got put in at such a young age. And like, he's, he got, he was like 21 when he left. So that's yeah. like, what, three years? How can you say someone's not going to win a world championship in three years? In yeah. like, yeah, a couple more years. I think to sum up my point, I'm going to use my dad's phrase that I used earlier. It's two different beasts. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't think you can compare either one. I think they're both brilliant. Um, I don't think either one is a step down. MotoGP might have more of an air of like prestige and like it might be the pinnacle, but I don't think it's a step down necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. We just need to. So, as you both said, those those are both great points as well. And yeah, that's basically, you guys basically said what I wanted to say anyway, so. Oh, that's just, good. <laughs> the main thing is I just really like to see riders go from World Superbike to MotoGP. Yeah, yeah I think And I hope we do get that. Yeah, I think if Top Rack does it. Yeah, next Top year. Rack. Let's go. Summer break. We'll be waiting for that contract. Yeah. Hopefully it'll open the floodgates and it'll happen. That's what I'm rocking. saying. I mean, if yeah. it happens once and... I think a lot of it will ride on Top Rack's performance as well. I think there's a lot of pressure on his shoulders. I think if he goes to MotoGP and then doesn't perform, people are going to be like, I told you so. Like, he never could ride a MotoGP bike. But I think if he goes and shows his talent, which we all know he has, I, yeah, I think, like Catherine said, it will open the floodgates. And it will be a very, very exciting time because then the fight for seats will be even harder in both classes so yeah i think that is absolutely everything for this week's episode thank you to catherine and carly for joining me on this episode we knew it would be such a fun one to record because it is such a hot topic at the minute and it's a good way to talk about world superbikes as well so they will be racing in donnington next weekend or i should say this weekend coming for when this podcast episode is out so Uh, the weekend of the 16th and the 17th that's the Saturday and the Sunday so yeah make sure you go and watch it because it is such exciting racing like we said and the championship is really hauling up at the minute so you don't want to miss it but that is us for this week's episode of the siding lap if you want to follow us we are at the siding lap absolutely everywhere you can find us thanks so much for listening and we'll see you guys next week